pastor here at Hallmark. What a wonderful church that you've chosen to be at today. And uh, we, I just want to show you a few pictures. We, Dave mentioned briefly, we had a group that went to uh, uh, Cuba this week. Had a great uh, time in Cuba. And uh, so the, the guy in the, I guess in the middle in the striped, kind of black and white is what it looks like on the screen there, uh, is the pastor of the church there. Uh, that one of the churches that we got to be a part of, this is Pastor Romero, and uh, told us an amazing story. So here's what I, I believe, that I believe that you are here this morning uh, not by accident. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God's providence. And I believe that you're here today because God wanted you to be here today. And there was a great example of this when we, when we heard the story Pastor Romero told uh, we were just inside the church at this time. We could see the, the, the top of this tree. This is, the tree is in the back of their property at this church. And they had prayed for several years. So there used to be a neighbor here uh, that did not like God and did not like the church and used to uh, really blare music uh, right into their open-air chapel every Sunday morning. Just so happened they wanted to listen to their music really loud when church time came. And so they were really praying that these people would be somehow moved out of the property uh, and then uh, next was uh, 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 two brothers that were going to buy this property and actually did purchase the property, and they were going to put a gay bar in right there on the corner on this property. And so uh, they were like, God, that's not really exactly what we were praying. Uh, but they did get rid of those neighbors. Um, and then they continued to pray and ask God to do something with this property that was not what was about to happen. Um, and so... The brothers got into a fight. I've never heard of brothers getting into a fight in my life, ever. Uh, so if, you, if you're new, I'm a twin, and there may have been some fights growing up, but we won't get into that. And so the property was just vacant. And a group came from uh, the United States, and they sat in the church where we were sitting. A uh, guy, a business owner, had asked that God would really um, direct him to a property that he could purchase for a church. So he was sitting there listening to Pastor Romero's story. He sees out, the, at the time they were there, the wall wasn't quite as high, and so he could see these uh, mango trees out there. And he asked the pastor, are those mango trees on your property? He said, no, they're not on our property, uh, but no one, the property's vacant. And the guy says, could I buy the property for you? And uh, Pastor Romero telling the story, he's uh, kind of got broken English, and he was really like, is this guy telling me he wants to buy the property just because he likes mangoes? So he gets someone to translate to make sure what he's hearing is what he's hearing. And sure enough, the guy wants to buy the property because he likes mangoes. And so he buys the property. Now they're uh, kind of in the paperwork stage of, of um, getting permits to build a house that will be used for feeding kids. And man is going to go in there and partner with them. And so God, in his sovereignty, planted a mango tree for some guy to come by so these kids could hear about Jesus. Isn't God pretty awesome? Yeah, give, give God a hand. That's awesome. And so I say, you're here for a reason today. God has a purpose for you being here, and God wants to speak into your life today. There's one more picture, and uh, I won't say a lot about it, but this is his family. He got two little kids. He told us that they were not, allow, uh, they were not able for medical reasons to have kids and just continue to pray and God gave them two kids and I think he says it's enough now but anyways we don't 
his English was broken. That's what I translated. Today we're going to continue our series, and so um, as I, I want you to turn to, to Genesis, or to, excuse me, to Exodus, and we'll, we'll get there in a moment. And as you turn there, Exodus twenty-seven. I also want to again just to say thank you. Many of you um, have been faithful to give to our missions program over the years. You've been given to Manna over the years, and so because of that, we were allowed. Dave and I, Pastor Dave and I, were allowed to go. Uh, into Cuba this week and experience what God is doing. And so we'll, we'll kind of share more of that as we go, but it's amazing what God is doing uh, in that communist country um, and the freedoms they have to preach the gospel. Uh, Pastor Barbaro, he's going to be coming here at the end of August. Hopefully he'll get to speak to you. Um, was reminding us that as long as they preach the gospel in church and stay away from politics, then they're okay. That's probably good advice either way, right? Whether you're in a communist country or not. And uh, and so their, their understanding is probably every Sunday, uh, maybe even members of their church are spies for the Communist Party, uh, but he's excited that they're hearing the gospel. And uh, so just pray for, for them and, and everything that God's doing. But I just wanted to say thank you uh, from Dave and I that you let us go and represent you as a church and your faithfulness to give uh, in missions, your faith promise, and also through manna. Uh, God is, is, is doing something in Cuba already. But now we're going to get to be a part of what he's doing, and so we're, ex we're excited about that. Um, but we've been in this series, and the message today, so I want to encourage you, get your bulletin out. Uh, the series title is The Promise. Pastor Dave uh, spoke in here last week. I got to speak in our Spanish ministry. I was preparing myself for Cuba, and uh, so I, I still use the translator. Don't think I'm smart or anything. But uh, Dave preached on the altar of incense, uh, and today's title is the, sh the, the Shout Heard Round the world. You guys have heard the phrase, the shot heard round the world, right? And so that was uh, really in reference to the first gunshot of the American Revolution. But here's some other statements that you may or may not, I would say probably most of us in the room have heard these famous statements. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Winston Churchill then said, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. Nathan Hale said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. And, and maybe not quite on the same scale as these other quotes is the, the quote here from Cassius Clay. But I like it. It says, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. George can't hit what his hands can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. You think you will, but I know you won't, right? And so how many of you lived those days, right? There's a few of you maybe in here. We don't have to raise your hand. We don't want to talk about that. Uh, there's a quote, though, on your bulletin from J. Oswald Chambers. And he says, so these are some amazing quotes or phrases that have been said all over that we're familiar with. But he said, the greatest single phrase uttered by a human being. What is that phrase? Is it is finished. The greatest single phrase uttered by a human being, we understand to be Jesus, and he said it is finished. Now, we've been walking through the tabernacle, and so if you're joining us maybe for the first time or you've missed, uh, missed a few of these, I'm just going to give you a quick one-sentence summary of each week of messages, okay? The first one, we talked about the tabernacle, kind of overview of the Old Testament tabernacle, and here's the statement, God went from being among his people in a place 
to beside his people in a person, again, referencing Jesus Christ, to in his people the temple. So from Old Testament tabernacle slash temple, where they would go and meet with God, to Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us, that Jesus, God himself, was among his people, to the ascension, Acts chapter 2, the filling of the Holy Spirit, to those who believe, now we have become the temple of God. So from among his people to beside his people to now in his people. Aren't you glad that you have the power of the Holy Spirit right here inside of you as a believer? You are the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God. The second week, the bronze labor, the statement, God didn't just save you from something, he sanctifies you for something. God has a purpose for you being here today, and God has a purpose and a plan for you in your life as you move forward. God wants to use you. The reality is, God does not need me. The reality is, God does not need you. But God wants me. God wants you. And He wants me to be a part of what He's doing. He wants you to be a part of what He is doing. The second week, excuse me, the third week was the table of showbread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But here's the statement. Maybe the reason you're not hungry for the word is because you're feasting on the world. Jesus said, you know, we're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness snake. And if we are hungry and thirsty for God and his word, we will be what? We'll be satisfied. We'll be filled. And, And unfortunately for many of us, the reason we are not hunger and thirsting for God, for his word, is because we're busy doing everything else. Jesus was the bread of life. The next one was the lampstand. The lampstand revealed the light, but Jesus is the light revealed. And as believers, then he now sends us, and we are the light of the world. Dave talked about prayer last week in the altar of incense, and here's one of the quotes from his message last week that I think summarizes that message. It says, Christians do not experience the power of God in our lives because there is no power, or no, excuse me, no prayer to God in our lives. And I, I, from your testimony, what I heard from many people as they left last week or as I talked in conversation last week after the message was, and, and, and my confession is I studied the message because I preached pretty much the same message in the Spanish ministry last week was, I don't pray enough. Do you guys, would you guys raise your hand and testify you, don't, you probably don't pray enough either? And so I, I hope as you were challenged last week, let's seek God in prayer. Maybe the reason we don't have power in our life is because there's no prayer in our life. And so again, here's the picture of the tabernacle and uh, this morning as we celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, and you can see here, so we talked over overview of the tabernacle the first week. We skipped, so if you're walking, uh, as you look at the screen, the entrance gate, then you walk and see the altar of burnt offerings is what we're going to talk about today. And we skipped that one. We went to the laver, table of showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense. Next week we'll be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And we intentionally skipped this week or uh, we saved the altar of burnt offerings for this week because we want to talk about it on Palm Sunday and it repre- what it represents today. So you are holding your spot, I hope, in Exodus chapter 27. Let's get there and let's read a few verses of Scripture. Exodus 27, verse 
1. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns and on its four corners, its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also you shall make it its pans to receive its ashes, its shovels, and its basin, its forks, and the fire pans you shall make in its utensils of bronze. You shall make a gate for it, a network of bronze, and a network uh, you shall make four bronze rings as its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar, beneath the network, maybe midway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The pole shall be put in the rings, and the pole shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown you on the mountain. So shall you make it. Don't you like how descriptive God is in planning what he wants done? Like he doesn't want any, any guessing in what he's expecting. Let me just give you a, a, a few definitions when we talk about this altar. The Hebrew root word for altar means to slay or to slaughter. The Latin word alta means high. So when we think about those two words, it's a high place for sacrifice or slaughter. What, what picture of the altar? So this altar was raised off the ground. It was a place for sacrifice or slaughter. Who's this a picture of? Or what is this a picture of? It's the crucifixion, isn't it? And so as we walk through this this morning, the first one, so if you're taking notes or there on your bulletin this morning, what's the purpose or why, why are we looking at the brazen altar? Number one, what's the purpose or the picture, the place of sacrifice for sins? The place of sacrifice for sins. So you, you get the picture here as the, the head of the whole household, the man of the house, would bring his family. They would enter the gate. Jesus was the gate. I'm the way, the true life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They would come to the altar. The, the father would put his hands on the goat, the year, a, a one-year-old goat that was without blemish. And he would pray over the goat. And his hands on the goat would symbolize that he is transferring the sins of his family onto the goat. And then now the goat would be what? Sacrificed. And, and it brings to understanding that in order for forgiveness of sins to take place, there has to be the shedding of blood. And so the sacrifice of the goat, let me read for you Leviticus 1 verse 4. Uh, and again, this is a reference of what the father would do. He would lay his head on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on behalf to make atonement for him and for his family. That's Leviticus 1 verse 4. And then, of course, the graphic nature of the slaughter would be after he's placed the hands on the goat he's transferred symbolically the sins of his family to the goat then he would slit the goat's throat the goat would then be thrown on the altar the priest would grab some of the blood from the altar and he would would, would splatter it on the veil that was separating them from the holy place then they would throw some of the blood under the altar. And what a graphic picture. Year after year. Family after family. And, and what you have to understand, what we have to understand, is that this sacrifice, this picture, was for us to understand how much God hates sin. 
If you remember, we've talked about this about every week at the, the first Passover when the, the Jews would flee out of Egypt. And God told them to sacrifice a goat or a lamb of one year, and they would, and they would put the blood over the doorpost of the house. And if there was blood over the doorpost of the house, the angel would come over, and the angel, if he saw the blood on the house, would then do what? Pass over. That's why they called it Passover. And the estimates of how many people or how many goats would have, would have been slaughtered that day. One to two million people is the estimate of the nation of Israel. Let's give a conservative estimate of five per family. You have 200 to 400,000 animals that were going to be slaughtered. The innocent life would be taken. The picture here again reminds us that God hates sin. That God hates sin. And so this, this visual image of the nature of God, the nature that God hates God is holy and God hates sin. And let's fast forward to the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter 19. So we looked at the place of sacrifice for sins, and we're moving very quickly. I know there's so much information I could give you on the brazen altar, but we're going to move forward. Number one, the place of sacrifice for sins. Number two, if you're taking notes, is the person of sacrifice for sins. The person of sacrifice for sins. John chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, 28, and we're going to read through verse 30. After this, Jesus is hanging on the cross. It says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Verse 29, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, say it with me, it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. What, what, what is finished? On your outline there, you have blanks and it says the plan of redemption. Why is this the plan of redemption. Why is this innocent man, why is Jesus who, who had no offense, and Pilate even said, I find no offense for death here, and, and they said, crucify him, crucify him, and remember Pilate washed his hands, it's not of me, this is what you want, and why is this innocent man hanging on the cross, why is he dying, and again, this statement, the plan of redemption, and as I've already said, all throughout, from beginning in Genesis chapter 3, remember everything was great in the garden, and creation was perfect, and Adam and Eve were were perfect, and they were created in the image of God, and they were asked not to eat of the forbidden fruit, and everything else, and there was a relationship between them and God, and no sin, no hindrance, perfect relationship with God, their creator, and yet they chose to what? Sin. Remember Satan says, oh, surely you will not die. God just doesn't want you to be like him, because he's going to open your eyes, and you're going to see, and, and the reality is, that was half true, wasn't it? And they ate of the fruit. 
And immediately they realized, immediately they did see what God saw. They saw their sin, they saw their wickedness, and they were naked before God, a holy, righteous God. And they went to go clothe themselves with fig leaves. And was that enough? Was that, was that good enough to cover the sin that they had placed before God? No. What did God do? There had to be sh- the shedding of blood. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The proper covering, there had to be death, there had to be shedding of blood. Genesis 4, verse 4, Abel also brought up the firstborn of his flock of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Again, there had to be a sacrifice, there had to be a shedding of blood to cover the sins, to be an acceptable offering before God. Genesis 8, verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And again, remember this sacrifice, this death of innocence is a picture of how much God hates sin. It's also a reminder, a picture that that life is in the blood. There is life in the blood. Listen to Leviticus 17, verse 11. It'll be on the screen. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Hebrews 9, 22. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No remission of sins. So we get the picture, the father would bring the goat, he would lay his hands on the goat, symbolically placing the sins of his family onto the goat. The goat would be sacrificed in the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. But we get this picture of a substitute. When John saw Jesus coming, remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this sacrifice yearly, 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 yearly. Hebrews tells us that animal sacrifice could not be a proper atonement. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, spotless, without blemish, came to shed his blood to be my substitute. My sins. Old Testament, symbolically, the father would pray, and symbolically, the sins of his family placed on the goat, and and there was an atonement made. But on the cross that day, as Jesus hung on the cross, my sins were placed on who? Jesus. Listen to this statement by John Stott. Until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will never appreciate that it is done for you. Do you understand what that's saying? Because I'm a sinner. Because I stand guilty before God. 
Jesus had to die. And I think most of the time, it's easy for us to think, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and all of you out there, because of your sins, Jesus had to die. It sounds different when I say, it was my sins. It was my rebellion. It was me. Because of my sin, Jesus hung on a cross. And what he's saying here, I would read it, but I can't see anymore. Until you see the cross as your cross, Until you see, your, you picture yourself walking up to that cross and Jesus saying, hold on, I got this. It will never mean as much as it should. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and he took my sins and he went to the cross and he shed his blood to make atonement for me. For you. Everyone in this room. So John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he did die for you. Not just me. It wasn't just my sins that placed him there. It was your sins that placed him there. It, it was your guilt. It was your rebellion. It was you and your sins that placed God on the cross. You're just as guilty as I am. I'm just as guilty as you are. And God loves you just as much as he loves me. And this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know God loves you. He died for you. So we see the plan of redemption. It was always a sacrifice. It was always the shedding of blood. We've really already got into this. I got ahead of myself this morning. But the next blanks on your outline is the price of redemption. You see, the Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Me, the payment for that sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's a price. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read through this quickly this morning. Genesis 22, beginning in verse number 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took the two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. 
And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eye and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to this young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. What a statement of faith Abraham said. Remember, Abraham has just been told, go sacrifice your son. And yet he tells these men, we, we being plural, me and my son, we will come back to you. Faith. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. What a picture. Isaac, the one and only son, is carrying the wood that he will be sacrificed on. Does that give you a picture of someone? But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide. Aren't you glad that God provides? Don't you know Isaac was glad that God provides? Verse 9, And they came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And You know, there's a lot of discussion on how old Isaac was, or how old uh, of a young man Isaac was. I've heard some theologians say that he was possibly 20 to 30 years old. We know Abraham was old when he had Isaac. And there's a choice that's being made here that I think has been made by Isaac. Isaac, I believe, could have resisted his father. But he willingly surrendered to his father's will. Remember when Jesus was praying in the garden? Lord, if there's any other way. Nevertheless, not, not my will, but your will. And Jesus willingly carried his cross up the mountain, placed himself on the cross, and was sacrificed for me. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket and thorns. So Abraham went and took of the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. You get the picture of the substitute, don't you? Verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. You see, the payment for sin has always been death. 
the price for our redemption is unimaginable. But God provided a substitute. God provided a substitute in the person of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 45. Now it's about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So Jesus uttered the words, It is what? Finished. And when he uttered the words, it is finished, the veil of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. Who tore the temple veil in two? Man or God? God did. And what that veil represented was a, a barrier of separation between man and God. Because we stand guilty before God, unholy, and we can't enter into the presence of God. In, in the Old Testament, all these rituals and all the tabernacle and all the rules they had to follow, and one day a year from one tribe a year, from one family on that one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, and all this process would go then that high priest would enter into the very presence of God. And on that day, when Jesus died on the cross and he spoke the words, it is finished, and the temple veil was in, uh, torn in two from top to bottom, God was saying, you now have access to me. Can you say amen to that? That we have access to God, and we don't have to go through all the rituals, and we don't have to lay our hands on the goat, and place the sins of our family on the goat, and we don't have to go through all the rituals, sprinkling the blood, and, and all these things that the Old Testament did, and it was a picture of how much God hates sin. When we think of the cross on your outline, the two closing thoughts. The cross shows us how much God hates sin. Have, have you caught that theme yet this morning? The cross, all the sacrifices, all the shedding of blood, all of that is a reminder and understanding that God hates sin. But look at the next statement. The cross shows us how much God loves you. God hates sin so much, but he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. The last few weeks when we've talked about this, remember we talked about how God always redeems, God reveals so that he can relate. And so remember we talked about this on the uh, on Passover, God redeemed them by the shedding of the blood. And, and if they came to God under the blood, then they, could, they would be redeemed. They would be saved. They would be uh, redeemed out of the situation they were in. Fifty days later on Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. And when God gave them the law, it was because he wanted to reveal himself to them. A year later, after the Passover, 
God would tell Moses, build a tabernacle because I want to dwell, I want to tabernacle with my people. He redeemed them, he revealed himself to them so that he could relate to them. On the cross, Jesus died, and if we come to God under the blood of the cross, we can be redeemed, we can be restored, we can have forgiveness of sins, we can have relation with God, our Creator. Fifty days later, at the day of Pentecost, God would send the Holy Spirit so that He could reveal Himself to His people, so that He could relate to His people on Mount Sinai. 3,000 people. Remember Moses was on the, uh, up on the mountain with God. God was revealing the law, and when Moses came down, he saw the people worshiping the false idols and the false images. And in, on that day, 3,000 people were killed because God hates sin. Fifty days after Jesus Christ paid the price to redeem all mankind, the day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit indwelling the people, and Peter preached. And how many people came to Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people. The cross always reminds us that God hates sin, but it also reminds us that God loves me. God loves you. And maybe this morning, God has revealed to you that you've never come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the only way you can get to God is by placing your faith. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing a song and just have a time of worship together as a church family. But what I want you to know this morning is if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you would like to do that this morning, I'm going to be standing right down here. There's going to be others standing up here with me. We're going to be facing you. And if you want to know how you can give your life to Jesus Christ, how you can be redeemed, how you can have forgiveness of sins, then I'm going to encourage you, walk down here and talk to me. Walk down and talk to the person over there. There'll be men and women up here, and we would love to show you how you can know that Jesus Christ died for you. You can have forgiveness of sins. For a lot of us in the room this morning, I want to challenge you. We've been given the greatest gift, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think this morning, how often do you share that knowledge? We talk about a lot of things that don't mean anything, don't we? We talk about the weather. We talk about our Final Four team, whether they're still in, if our bracket's still good, or if it's trashed. And if anyone tells you the bracket's still good, they're lying. talk about a lot of things that don't really matter, don't we? This week is the greatest opportunity. It's the greatest week to, to share your faith. It's the greatest opportunity for you to, to hand somebody an invite card and say, hey, will you join me this Sunday for Easter? I've got so many things in my pocket, I can't find it. Good Friday service, would you join me?
Easter Sunday, would you join me? And when you talk about your bracket, and you walk away and don't talk about God, I hope God pricks your heart. Because this is so much more important. Would you agree with that? Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask Ben to come and prepare for our worship time this morning. But I want to ask real quickly this morning, maybe this morning you're in here and God has said to you, you've never come to God through Jesus. If that's you this morning and God has revealed that to you today, I want to just pray for you. But I can't pray for you unless I know. So if that's you this morning and you would have enough courage to say, John, that's me. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never come to God through Christ. Would you just slip your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up for a moment. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that this morning, just put your hand up. Thank you. Anyone else, just put your hand up. Again, I'm not going to call you out. The last thing I want to do this morning is embarrass you. But I want to pray for you. Anybody else this morning? John, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never come to God through the blood of Jesus. Just put your hand up this this morning, right now. For those of you this morning that have not done that, again, in a moment, we're going to stand. There's going to be some some people come forward and pray. There's going to be some of us that are standing and facing you. And if you would like to know how to give your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, walk forward this morning and ask. For the rest of us this morning, I, what I want to challenge you when we stand in a moment is, is there's, there's someone in your mind, there's someone that God has placed in your heart that, that you know you've had the bracket conversation, you've had the weather conversation, you've had the movie conversation, you've had the favorite restaurant conversation, but you know they don't go to church and they don't know Jesus and... You need to come down this morning and pray for them. And you need to come down this morning and pray that God would give you the courage to talk to them this week. So I'm going to challenge you when we stand. Come forward and pray. God, give me an opportunity this week. Give me the courage this week to share Jesus with someone. Would you stand with this morning as I pray? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, there's already people coming forward this morning, and we ask, God, that you would continue just to speak in the lives of people this morning, to come forward right now and to seek you and to pray, and, and, and Lord, to have the courage to pray for someone this week and to give a card and invite someone to join them. But Lord, there's people in here this morning that don't know Jesus, and I pray that you would give them the, the strength, the courage, the boldness to walk forward this morning to find out how they can know Jesus. Lord, we love you. I'm thankful for the cross. As we sing this morning, let's worship together as a church family today. If God's spoken to you, come forward this morning.